I'm Gab. He's Jules. Gray skies over West London. It's international break, yep. but there's so many. I don't, I'm not going to lie to you. There aren't that many big stories. There are some big stories. There's some yeah, interesting always. stories. Um, obviously, we're going we're gonna to talk about Manchester United, what's going on there. There's plenty more coming in. Walter, the cuddly Walter Manzari oh, going back to Naples. So nice. Uh, yeah, so Lots. nice, really. Um, big story involving Chelsea as well. Roman Abramovich will be getting to that. Uh, Barcelona starting work on the new stadium. I'm super, well, not new stadium, the refurb the of the Camp yeah, Nou. Yeah, I'm yeah. excited for that. Um, but let's start at Old Trafford. Now, let's try to just sum up where we are. Yeah. Because there's a whole bunch of boring procedural steps that they have to go through before things become official. Mm. So all we know that's kind of 100% official, is Richard Arnold is stepping down Finally. as chief executive. That's right. We also know that Jim Ratcliffe has an agreement in principle to pay $1.25 uh, billion, yeah. something like that, to take over 25% that's of right. the club. Yeah. That's what we know kind of for certain. Uh, there's suggestions there might be an announcement that the deal has gone through next week. Certainly viewed from the outside, based on what we've been told as well, Richard Arnold would not be stepping down if, yeah. if Jim Ratcliffe were exactly. not taking a big chunk of the club. We also think, or at least I think, I, I think you agree, Jules, that Jim Ratcliffe isn't going to go at his age and spend $1.25 billion just to say, hey, Glazers, here, go, run with it. You guys make all the decisions at the club. So I think yeah. clearly he has worked in that he is going to have some amount, some significant amount of say in naming the new chief executive who's going to replace um, Richard Arnold, presumably the new head of recruitment, if we think there will be one. Well, Paul Mitchell's been mentioned. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that. Um, and maybe even, I would suspect, some sort of escalator where over time he can buy out shares in the other Glazer uh, siblings, maybe yeah. in the Glazers themselves, and take control, take total control of the club. This is what we think is yeah. possible. Total control, maybe, although at his age, as you said, he's over 70 now, you know, he might not have the time, the energy, I don't know. Um, so he has the money, but maybe not the rest. But he would be hands on, that's for sure. We know that's why we're being briefed. Everybody's being briefed the same anyway. Hands-on also to refurbish the stadium, to, or certainly to put money in towards refurbishment of the stadium, of Carrington training grounds, of all of that. So that's why I see it as this should be very good news for all Manchester United fans. It should be an exciting time, not just because you can finally get rid of the Ed Woodward and his twin Richard Arnold partnership to run this club on a daily basis. And I'm not saying that whoever comes next is going to do a better job, but I just hope that they do, and it will be hard not to. And then also because sporting-wise, this is in a way a new dawn in the sense certainly of finally you would expect a structure in place that is actually like all the other top clubs in Europe. And I think you hit the nail on the head. And, and to me, when I look back over the last 10 years of underachievement, right, after Sir Alex left, there is one common thread, which to me is the fact that this club did not have whether you a director of football until very recently, until John Murta was was appointed. And even once he was appointed, this is a club whose recruitment has always been manager-driven. Manager wants him, whether it's Van Hal or whether it's Mourinho, or whether it's Solskjaer, or whether it's um, uh, Davy Moyes. Rangnick didn't really get what he wanted, but nope. whatever. Um, it's always been manager-led. And I'm sorry, there is a reason why I think in every organized professional team sport in the world, managers, the people who coach, aren't the ones making or driving the recruitment. You take into account what they said. Yeah. But there is somebody else there who has an expertise in recruitment, uh, with an expertise in negotiations, and who has the club's medium to long-term future at heart more than a manager because managers are going to be you know, judged on short-term results. And I think this is one of the things that really hurt United over the years, that they couldn't, they were like, oh, well, how do we support Van Hal? Well, let's say yes to everything Van Hal wants. Let's say yes to everything Mourinho wants. Let's say yes to everything Moyes wants. That's not good for the club. It's probably not good for them either. And I think Ten Hag is the ultimate example here, right? Because they end up, oh, Ten Hag's knowledge of players will necessarily be limited because yeah. he's always worked with a director of football before. And so you end up signing all these guys from the Dutch League, who he already knows, overpaying for them in many cases. And I want to say, if I were a United fan, I would want to see a really empowered 
head of recruitment, sporting director. I think it's a, you need to find a middle ground, though, because as we've seen, some direct, some sporting director, director of football, also not always sign good, good players, great players, players that fit the profile that you want or play the football that you want either. So I think that's the middle ground. But so far, there was never that conversation anywhere because, like you said, Ten Hag, his son, his agent, Keith Voss were doing what they wanted at the club. All right, Jules, let's stick with this a little more because, as I said, I am passionate about this. And I, I, I just kind of want to say something. What do we want a good head of recruitment to do? And obviously, you want him to understand football. You want him to understand the, the manager's needs. Yeah. But in my experience, having spoken to hundreds of managers as part of my job over the years, they often fall into a trap where they think, I want this guy because only he can do the job. They don't have the idea that there is somebody else who can do the same job for cheaper or for or in a better condition or whatever. And the reality is, unless you're signing prime Messi or Cristiano or Mbappe, there's maybe like seven or eight players in the world who can only do one job. And I go back to this, right? Whether it's Terrell Malassia, whether it's Anthony, these are examples at United where he's like, oh, I need a winger who can do this and that and blah, blah, blah. I know Anthony, I trust Anthony. Yeah, which is a good thing. Sometimes your manager, you want to work again with some people who you can be a good you thing, know right? Yeah. But you end up overpaying. You don't end up considering. You know, know. I, I'll refer you to my favorite example of this because it's somebody who is honest about it. When Jurgen Klopp needed a winger at Liverpool, back in 2015, 2016, whenever it was, he's like, yeah, I want Julian Brandt. Julian Brandt, really talented. Julian Brandt, Julian Brandt, blah, blah, blah. Dortmund, I know him, blah, blah, blah. Brandt, blah, 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 right? And then the club say, nah, we got all these smart nerds over here. We have, we have, um, blanking on the guy's name now, but, you know, our head of recruitment. Uh, Michael Edwards. Michael Edwards. You want Mo Salah. Mo Salah is a much better option than Julian Brandt. Comes like, ah, no, Julian Brandt, right? And then you what happens? You don't know how Brandt would have done at Liverpool. We don't. But I, I'm pretty sure Mo, Julian Brandt would never have achieved the heights that Mo Salah achieved. No, but maybe not. But maybe he could not. Have something different. Yeah, something not as good, right? No, no, but yeah, good. something different, right? Like I want to eat filet mignon, and you bring me skirts. They get something different, or you bring me tofu. It's different. It's not filet mignon, right? The club had the intelligence and the preparation to say, look, Mohamed Salah under Klopp, can perform far better than Julian Brandt. That is the decision that we're going to make as part of our committee, as part of our process. Klopp had the humility to accept that. And what happened? Mohamed Salah became one okay. of the best players. It's not always that simple. It's, it's not always not that always simple. Like that. But it's the point is, example. if he had said, it has to be Julian Brandt, has to be Julian Brandt, then at the know. other end, okay. you end up overpaying for Julian Brandt. They, Maybe, but problem. you don't know. Julian Brandt might have become a world-class player in the club at Liverpool as well. You don't, you, nobody can say what would have happened if Brandt had signed and not Salah. But now it turned out. We can't say. We've seen Julian Brandt play for the last 10 years. He's a good footballer. He's not Mohamed Salah. When Mohamed Salah signed, did you think that he would have this career at Liverpool? No, you didn't. Nobody did. Nobody did. Even Klopp has said that he has been surprised. So nobody did. So you don't know about Brandt. I get your point, and it's a very, very good point. I'm just saying, and that's why earlier I said about middle ground and balance, it's not always. I mean, I know Sven Mislitat is not a very good sporting director, but look at the mess that he's done at, at Ajax in the space of one summer where he was only his signing and nothing about what the manager wanted, etc. Et so sometimes no. it works. Sometimes you need to it take it work. into account. You need to have the good chemistry there. Yeah, there's but, one more managers who watch love of the game than their teams, who watch loads of players who are really interested in that side of the game and some managers who don't care. It's just that they want to sign that guy because they share the same agent, for example. How many times have we seen that? Oh, I think specifically in the case of Manchester United, yeah. where if you have a guy like Eric Ten Hag, who did very well at Ajax, working with scouting and recruitment, and I'm not saying he wasn't involved in transfers, but it's not like you know he was sitting at home, staying up all night, watching tapes of Brian Brobby, right? Uh, the reality is other people said, okay, who, what do you need? Do you need a guy with these characteristics? These are the guys we found, blah, blah, blah. What do you think? Watches a couple of videos, says, okay, this is my, you know, Top three choices, so and then delegates to the club. Yeah, it happens like that more often than not. It happens more like that where a sport, where a manager says to his sporting director and his recruitment team, "I need a right back. I want these qualities. 
good crosser of the ball, I don't know, very good defensively, That's... never beaten one-on-one. -on -one. I don't know, whatever profile you want and need for a right-back. And then his team of recruitment comes back and says, this is the top five that we have within our budget. So here is the number one, right. here's the number two, here's the number three. Then this manager goes and watch a lot of tapes and a lot of data and starts over those five players and say, of those fives, I would rather him being the number one and go for him first. This is how it happens most of the time. But then you're right, there's a lot Except of cases. Except for the part about managers going and watching a lot of no, tapes no, and a lot of data. But there's also that a lot of happen. cases where you're right, the manager says, no, no, we're going to do it my way. I want these players. I don't want to hear about anybody else who plays in that position. It's him or nothing or I'm not happy. And, and that's what often, happened at Manchester United. And that often. was a big part, I think, of the, of the problem and why yeah, they find for sure. themselves for in sure. this situation. Um, Paul Mitchell, I believe... I don't know where he was before Southampton, um, but or if he was anywhere before Southampton. Yeah. But he basically started out as a scout, right? Yeah. At Southampton, made that transition, moved to moved to Spurs. Yeah. And then from Spurs, he worked for the Red Bull organization. Exactly. Yeah. Leipzig. And then from there, he moved to Monaco. Yeah. Where under him, um, <coughs> he had uh, Lawrence Stewart, who's now at. Chelsea. It's not Chelsea. That's right. He and then he left that. Monaco a year ago, something like that? Or in, towards in the end the of summer. last season. Yeah, in the summer, yeah. the end of last But he announced he was leaving. Yeah, yeah, yeah before, yeah. So, what are his qualities from what you saw at Monaco? He clearly has a very good eye uh, for talent, for young talent especially. Uh, also because I think in some cases it's the hardest way. If you're Manchester United and you sign big stars, big players, a lot of us can identify, you know, top players in the top positions. I think he's Erling Holland is a pretty good centre forward. Yeah, exactly. Like oh, Kylian Mbappe could be good for your team. That kind of stuff. So I think he's a very smart guy. He works really, really hard. He spends a lot of time uh, watching players, analysing data, working with his team around him to make good signings, not overpriced signings, things like that. He's made mistakes before. There have been signings that had happened in all those clubs that didn't work out for whatever reason. But I think considering or compared to what United have had before, not have before as a sporting director or director of football, whatever one you want to call it, I think he's a huge, huge improvement. So, um, okay, so looking at this, if I'm trying to think of the negatives, and I think there's very few negatives with Paul Mitchell in terms of his rap and whatever, but yeah. the potential, you know, the questions I would be asking if I were Manchester United, before I hire Paul Mitchell. One is when the biggest club he's been at before was Spurs, right? Yeah. Um, that didn't work out. No. Uh, my understanding is it didn't work out in part because of the relationship with the manager. Yeah, and the structure. And that was a manager who he worked with before at Southampton. Yeah. And this is the man who's now the manager of Chelsea, Mauricio Pochettino. Yeah. So I'd want to definitely know more about that about what happened. Was, was it Daniel Levy poking in, saying no to everything, being the Grinch? Um, or was it Pochettino who wanted to be the sporting director as well as the manager? Yeah, I think you can answer that. Yes. I, my understanding, yeah. based on conversations also with somebody else who was there, who had the, who had the, who was, the who was the sporting director before, like that was, <laughs> that is kind of the Pochettino yeah. MO once he establishes yeah. credibility. Look, and let's not forget, at the time, Pochettino had achieved tremendous things with with Spurs, so yeah. he had all the credit. He was being linked to Real yeah, Madrid, Manchester United, whatever, right? Um, my other concern might be you mentioned young players identifying talent and so on. Um, if you're Manchester United, yes, obviously that's very important, but it's not like you're going to go on a five year rebuilding job through youth, right? You're going to have to also go and and acquire ready-made players at yep. the peak of their career, right? Yeah, like like sure. the Casemiro signing, which yeah. or Varane. You need to have that blend. Yeah. That's not something he's really done before. No, because at Leipzig, I mean, even at Spurs, you don't attract the same, as you mentioned, Gab, rightly so, you don't attract the same players at, at Manchester United. You don't have the same budget either. Leipzig can't spend 80 million on three, four players in your current squad like United can. So... I think with that and with the ambition of the club at Leipzig, he knew exactly what he was asked for. At Monaco, very scenario. Real Madrid signs Mbappe. Yeah, he liked yeah. this, yeah? yeah? So Vinicius says, all right, screw this. I know I signed a contract. I want to leave. I don't like Xabi Alonso. Whoever takes over, he smells, whatever, right? Yeah. And then you have a decision. So Real Madrid put Vinicius on the market. This is all hypothetical, by the way. Yeah, don't, don't, clip this. don't go mad at Gab. 
Um, you have to then put a value yeah. on how much you're willing to spend with Vinicius. Yeah. You're going to have to, how much you want to pay Vinicius and so yeah. on. This is a skill set yeah. which Paul Mitchell hasn't had to deal with yet, right? So no. this is this is the unknown. On another scale. On another on, scale. On, well, but never on a scale for such a... Yeah, but it's the same for a 10 million pound player. If the right. other club won 20, you value so, him at 10. It's the same as 200 and 100 right. million. The difference is that if it's a 10 million pound player, you don't have, and it's Leipzig or Monaco, Let's face it, Monaco have about 10 fans. Leipzig, <laughs> nobody likes them. So you're in a situation... You still don't want to get your transfers wrong. No, no, that's fine. But anything like this that plays out, say this hypothetical Vinicius, yeah. Real Madrid, Manchester United, you have the two biggest brands in the world. You have Brazil, the biggest brand in international football. Yeah. You have Vinicius. Yeah. Everything gets played out in the glare of the spotlight. It is, it is a big step up. Yeah. Now, obviously... Look, I'm not being negative about it, but again, if I were interviewing Paul Mitchell, I would say, how would you deal with this? How do you yeah. see this, right? I, and the, I think I, these are the unknowns, which is fine. You always have that. And if you don't give him a chance, you'll never find out. So I'm certainly not being critical of it. No. But, but that would be the big step up, right? Yeah, it would. But I think that he, he's got a huge network and he knows a lot of people in the game. He, he's usually... Um, I think quite wise in what he does, and again, you agree. I agree with you. Where he's never signed a hundred million pound player yet For, in his whole career, I, I, I'd be very surprised. But on the back of my head, I don't. Most think expensive with Golovin, maybe yeah. That worked out great, didn't it? But, but I th no, yeah, yeah, I think Golovin was even there before oh, right. Mitchell okay. arrived. So we need to look it up. But right. it would not. It would right. not be hundred million anyway. Um, however, I, I also think that he's got the personality and the the, the kind of. Man management is wrong for sports, but you know he is is quite a charmer. He, he he talks really well. He could convince you of a good project. Not that he probably needs to convince Vinicius if Vinicius wants to come to United, but I think he could put that all together very very nicely. Okay, so we we talk about him as a head of recruitment, and I, I don't want to get stuck on titles, but they do become relevant. Um, we're talking about as a sporting director. We mean the guy who does contracts, who buys and sells players, who's kind of the go between between the club and the, the first team coach, right? United, for the first time in their history, appointed somebody to that role, I think, 18 months ago. And that man is John Murta. Um, we didn't really have the pedigree to get that title, right? We I think, I think he, he didn't have the pedigree, he didn't have the track record. I think also he probably suffered from the fact that this was an internal promotion and they create a new position. So it's not like Murta could go into the job and be like, oh, the guy before me had authority over this, that, and that. No, he was in a situation where he was defining the role. I think when you get promoted internally in any better? organization... Isn't that better even? Because you you know, you know can shape it the way you want because you're right. the first one. But you go from working for the manager to then being the manager's boss. I, th I think that's effectively the thing. And unless you have somebody powerful yeah. behind you, like the CEO, but then the CEO was Ed Woodward, who, then, who was on his way out at the time, I think it's difficult, even if you want to, even if he has the skill set, to go to, to Van Hal and say, no, uh, Van Hal, this is about vague horse, this is stupid. Or Anthony, no, not a penny more than 50 million. Or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever he's going to do, yeah. right? He doesn't necessarily have the internal authority, especially the club, where the, the kind of institutional memory of the club, the club culture is, no, the gaffer's in charge because that's the way it was under Sir Alex, right? So I think all these things made his job harder. Yeah. I don't think it's a direct... I think his title is football director. And all these briefings that they brief with Paul Mitchell coming as sporting director, we agree these are just titles. You can call him director, I think call him general manager. We assume Paul Mitchell, if he comes in, it's either going to be Paul Mitchell or Paul Mitchell, whoever they bring in, is going to be the boss yeah. there. And Murta will either work under him or seek employment elsewhere. I think John Murta will either do something else or leave the club. And rightly so. He should not be staying, certainly not with that title. There's, there's, there's no, you know, there's no, he didn't do a good job as director of football or whatever the title he had. Let's be honest here. Football I mean, director. I'm sure, a football director. I'm sure he's a nice guy. We know a lot of people who know him well, who work with and him. they speak highly of him. Yeah, yeah, speak. So I'm sure... But it's down to what you're qualities. empowered to do. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But he still hasn't done a good job. I'm really sorry. Um, the other names that are being mentioned in connection with the club, and I'm sure there'll be some sort of commercial director, but we we're not going to bore you because unless you're a sponsorship nerd, you're not going to care. Yeah. Um, are two guys that obviously have strong links with Ratcliffe. One is Dave Brailsford. Yeah. 
Um, this is a cycling thing, so this might be more up your alley than mine. Because no, he does. I don't the like it now because he came no. a Nice, which is the other club one, one of the other clubs owned by Jim Radcliffe, Sir Jim Radcliffe, and Bryceford was heavily involved, not always in a in a nice way, in the last eighteen months or so. At Nice, doing a big boat okay, For those who don't follow things. cycling. Can you tell us who did what Dave, how, who, how Dave Brailsford became famous? What he yeah, became famous? Yeah, kind for? of revolutionized in a way, like road cycling, certainly here in England, by creating the uh, Sky team that became really, really uh, successful, popular, won Tour de France, where he was this uh, big brain behind it, behind them being so good, focusing especially on the marginal, marginal, gains. marginal gains. So anything that can help you, even what looks like a tiny, tiny yeah, thing. The pillows, the hand sanitizer, whatever. Everything, the way you sleep, the way you eat, all of that, he thought highly of. And then when he got into the Ineos family, if you I want. I think there were some questions also about what happened with Sky, which I'm going to refer you to Google on yeah. as well. No, because it, it is part of the story. I'm not, you know, yeah, I, yeah, I'll just leave it, it at that. But it is cycling. So bear that in mind. Yeah. But then he got into the Ineos family, which is this like sporting kind of empire that Sir Jim Radcliffe has been building. So they've got Formula One, they've got sailing, they've got yes, rugby. Yes, the Ineos Formula One team. What, what, what are you talking about, Formula One? They are a big partner in one of the Formula One team. What are you talking Which about? Which one? Uh, McLaren, I think. Right. They're everywhere. So not the one that wins. Okay. They're, just they're heavily involved in okay, Formula yeah. One <laughs> and in sailing <laughs> and in rugby and in loads of sports, including football. They own a few football clubs. Mercedes, not McLaren, Mercedes uh, for Formula One. So they're big. They're big in all the sports. Right. Dave Bresford is, is involved. He's kind of a, one of the big heads of all of right. them. So he's involved in anything that he wants to be, like Nice. Is he a potential CEO? Probably not, right? No, but he would be... He's a guy who can help advise. He would be heavily involved. Right. I would be. I think he would be like like a consultant at Manchester United because that's what he wants as well. Remember Sir Clive Woodward after he won the Rugby World Cup with England? So Going to Southampton. Every, everybody wanted his yeah. view, his expertise, even in sports I didn't know. Sir Dave is the same. Um, and then there's Jean-Claude, Jean-Claude Blanc. We've, we've mentioned him before. Yeah. He's the guy who, if you remember the Calciopoli scandal, this is the first time I I, I first met him or knew of him, was I after think. the Calciopoli scandal in yeah. 2006, Juventus got relegated. Uh, the owner says, oh, my God, all these people are toxic who've been involved with the club. Let's bring in somebody from the outside who's got nothing to do with Juve. And so they they brought in, uh, um, they brought in a CEO, um, uh, Sant'Albano, who was uh, but nothing to do with football. I mean, maybe he was a football fan, I don't know. And they brought in Jean-Claude Blanc. Yeah. Well, Blanc was the CEO and Sant'Albano the president? I is one or the Something other. Something like that, yeah. Um, but then, since then, he's had some big jobs in French football. Yeah, he went to PSG, uh, did really well there. I think he did a good job at Juve to clean things up and certainly put the club yeah, on. Not the, so much on the pitch, but no, that was yeah. beyond their control. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's he's not a football. I mean, he loves he loves football, but he's not a football guy himself, right? You won't see him involved heavily in transfers, in recruitment, in first team football. He's not De Laurentiis. He would not come down onto the pitch. He's not going to tell Ten Hag that Marcus no. Rashford. Oh, let's right play him back. on the right. Exactly. That's not him. However, he's very good with numbers. He's a very smart guy. He knows all the economics, all the the way, the structures. Everything. So we thinking potential CEO. For me, yeah, he would be a great CEO. I, I said before, I think I even put it on social media that if Sir Jim brings Blanc and Mitchell at United, this would be the best move they've done in a very very long time. Um, okay, and Sir Jim himself, because I look at this and obviously Nice are doing really well this season because they finally appointed an Italian manager, yeah. but. Um, it's not like they were pulling up trees beforehand, right? Is that just part of the learning process where you've got Sir Jim and his money and Brailsford and Blanc, all these smart people, but, you know, ultimately you will make mistakes and there will be growing pains. Yeah, so I think he made it. So the first mistake I think he made was to say that in the three years after he took over, which was four year, a bit more than four years ago now, they would compete for the title against PSG. So we would be as good as PSG, good enough to compete with them for the title, right? First mistake, don't promise things like that. Okay, that so you, you delivered in year four rather than year three. Yeah, they're not going to compete, I think, with PSG. Are they the competing for the title now? You, you don't play the title after 12, 12 games. Oh, you agree, oh, right? Thank you very okay. much. Thank you very much. Um, the second one, maybe that he, he put his brother Bob, 
who I think knows even less about football than Jim himself, as the CEO at Nice, which didn't really work out, and that's why he only lasted 18 months. But, but the results are not, I mean, it depends what you call good or not good, but fifth, they finished twice fifth, and then eighth and ninth, I think, in the four years that they've been in charge. So it's not, it's not dramatic. It could have been better, of course, it could have been better, but there's still some European qualifications there. They lost the cup final that... Obviously, you expect, high, lost. You, you expect much better results in Manchester United. Yeah, but fifth, spent... eighth, and twice ninth isn't going to... No, 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 but that's, that's, okay. that's, it goes right. with the club that you right. have in the league that you are in. So the ambitions for United are going to be bigger. They spend decent money around the 200 million uh, euro mark. They, they bought Young first, which I thought was quite clever, although Mino Raiola was heavily involved in that recruitment. And then they appointed Ian Moody, remember him? Yes. Yes, unfortunately. As a kind of sporting director, in a way. This is Cardiff C and Moody. Yeah, exactly. Of Crystal Palace. And he went and got Schmeichel, Kasper Schmeichel, Ross Barkley, Ross Barkley. Yeah, those kind of guys. So clearly two different right. uh, periods in those four years. The second one, maybe not as great as the first one. All right, final point on Sir Jim, because there's been rumors, and we were talking about this before. Stories, show, yeah. About one of his brainwaves is Jaden Sancho. Yeah. <laughs> And whereby he said basically, hey, or the, the thinking is he wants Ten Hag to get Sancho off. Yeah, make peace. Staff, make peace. I mean, the way I see it is I look at this and say, you're a club asset. You cost a ton of money. Yeah. Um, we'll be talking about possible loan moves later, but. You need to protect makes the value. Sense. You have to. Yeah. I mean, the only reason. I, I, now, at the same time, if Ten Hag comes back and say, listen, Sancho is so toxic and so unpleasant that he makes the rest of the team worse. And I have to put the team ahead of Sancho, and that's why I can't even have him training with us. And Ten Hag tells you that, then it's Ten Hag, then, then fair enough. Yeah, right? because the, so this story is in many newspapers in England, which usually shows you that it's been the, the PR people exactly. <laughs> on the phone. Which is, which is fair with us. We know how it works. Yeah. It will happen again many, many times. Do you have an issue, though, with Sir Jim arriving at the club and already telling Ten Hag what? He, what Ten Hag has to do or what he wants Ten Hag to do. So you Ten Hag, I'm Sanjeev, I'm coming in and say, listen, I don't like this Sancho training on his own, no contact with the first team, not even in the dressing room. This is not, this is not right. Go and make peace with him. Is it, is it right for Sanjeev to arrive and be, be in the building one minute and tell Ten Hag what he has to do? So I don't know that he's told him that he has to do this. I, I think if he goes and he asks Ten Hag and says, hey, what's the deal with Sancho? Because he is a club asset, can you explain to me your thinking in you know what your thinking is? Because look, I'm sure Ten Hag would rather have a fit and productive Sancho contributing yeah, to the first team, right? I mean, I, I, he wants. That. Yeah. If Sancho's not there, I'm, I'm assuming that Ten Hag hasn't like bumped his head and gone insane. Ten Hag is doing this because he believes, rightly or wrongly, that having Sancho around is bad for United's first team. And that's what he has to look at. That's what he's got to put first. It's as simple as that. So if he can convince Jim of that, then fair enough. If Jim trusts his decision-making process there, I got no issue with it. All right, enough United. How about some quick hits instead? Oh, God. On Monday, we told you that Rui Garcia was getting yeah. sacked. And now we know who's replacing him at Napoli, Jules. It's the cuddly, lovable Walter oh, Mazzari. Of course. I'm not sure what you pronounce uh, Rudy Garcia like if he was either Italian or Spanish but he was sacked for sure after only well he was he lived in Italy he has a Spanish nah, last name dude he's French right. Paris, Rudy Garcia Paris born and bred okay, Paris whatever. born and bred um, after less than five uh, well just less than five months I won't lie Mazzari and you give me give me your opinion after it's very underwhelming for me I mean the guy's 62 this is his third spell at the club once he was an assistant a long time ago to Oliveri then he had four good years that's true but quite a long time ago with Napoli, certainly not the Spanish. Ten years ago. Sorry? Ten years Ten ago. Ten years ago, yeah. When Cavani was, long, know, was young. Exactly. When he Cavani looked like Jesus, remember yeah. that? And Pocho too. Uh, I'm not too happy if I was a Napoli fan. I know this is just a stopgap until the end of the season. I understand and then something else will come, I, I guess, after. I would, I'm not sure I would be very happy. So, I don't think Walter Manzari, I think the last ten years since he left Napoli kind of show that I don't think he's... A, his, his, his style of football, his style of management. Yeah. I don't, it's not something I like. It's not something I enjoy. I think it's out of step with, Spal with Spalletti, with what, uh, with what Rudy was doing. Yeah. Um, 
He knows the city. He knows the club. He's got some cred left with the fans for, for what happened before. So that's the good news. My concern is, what does this mean for Victor Osimhen? Because he needs to sign his contract, and that is really important. Vraskelia as well. And Kvara too. But Kvara, at least it's a long-term contract, yeah, yeah. right? When Osimhen comes back, if the team goes in a tailspin and he decides he doesn't like Matsari, who can be a difficult character, yeah. I don't know. And also, back three or back four? What, what's going to happen? But you, he has to play back. Yeah, but historically, he's a back three manager. He's the same. He's also an Italian manager. He knows how to play. I know. He has I'm to do that. Saying. Look, if Mazzari shows up, I'm sorry, Aurelio, if you're watching, if he shows up and he starts playing back three, you sack him straight away. Okay, if he starts playing back four and it doesn't work out for the first two games, if he reverts to back three... Well, you still play back four. You don't... I would hope they spoke about yeah, it in the yeah, job interview. Yeah, I think so. Manchester City announced their result for the 2022-23 season. And Gab, they are pretty stunning. Their annual uh, report shows revenue of $889.4 million, so almost $900 million, and net profits of $100 million. It's pretty remarkable, huh? Wow. Uh, you'd I mean, almost... It's a big season for them. They won the treble. Yeah, you'd almost think they'd won the treble or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look, and then people are going to bring out, yes, but those sponsorships inflated, blah, blah, blah. That's true, and until you find them guilty of inflating their sponsorship because of related parties, then you just have to accept that it is what it is. That mm. this team is profitable right now, and um, that's the reality of it. Tremendous season, and and this is why now they can go yeah. and spend this money as well. Their wage bill is also shot up, but that's also a function because you have to pay all these bonuses when yeah. you win stuff. So, uh, well done them. Luis Diaz has been reunited with his recently freed father. Jules, I was oh, really yes. moved when I saw the pictures. Yeah, lovely pictures, videos as well. I mean, lovely. You can just imagine the ordeal that they went through during those 10 days where his father was was uh, kidnapped and in kind of detention, if you want. Now he's been freed. They were reunited. I think there were a lot of tears, a lot of kisses and hugs and cuddles, which is completely normal. You understand. Talking about fathers, Aaron Ramsdale's dad has said that his son lost his smile since being benched by Arsenal and Mikel Arteta for David Raya and says that he doesn't know why. He also said that people should support David Raya, who is now the number one. What do you make of all of this? Um, I think it's counterproductive when uh, parents speak out, whether or family members, whether it's Cristiano's sister or, in this case, um, Ramsdale's dad. I appreciate where he's coming from. I would probably do the same thing if, if I had a son and that son were Aaron Ramsdale and he played for uh, for Arsenal. Simple as. It come, I think it comes from the heart. I, to me, this just raises the whole thing. I don't understand Arteta's approach here. You gave Aaron Ramsdale a new contract in May. Presumably, you did that when you didn't need to give him a new contract, incidentally, no. because he was, what, one year in, two years in, right? Yeah. Presumably, you did that because you thought he was your long-term goalkeeper. And again, you also didn't announce that Raya is now the number one. You said, oh, no, look, we'll alternate, blah, blah, blah. It's, I don't think that's great communications from Arteta, and I can see why Ramsdale feels confused. I mean, in terms of why Raya plays instead of Ramsdale, I think it's pretty obvious. It's because Raya is much better on the ball than Aaron Ramsdale, or Arteta thinks he is, and mm -hmm. that's really important to Arteta's build-up. That part's not yeah, going to yeah. change. All Ramsdale can do is keep working hard. The PGMOL have released audio of the conversation between VAR and referee Stuart Atwell over the Anthony Gordon goal that so upset Mikel Arteta and me when Newcastle me. played Arsenal. Jules, did you learn anything that helps you understand the decision absolutely, better? Absolutely not. Gab, nothing. I still don't understand the position. I still thought, watching it again, again and listening to the waffling, I, just, I still think even more that Joel Ellington is just... Fouling Gabriel there every so, single day. Yeah, I like. I, I think it's good that they released it. I think they had already kind of in drips and drabs already explained their their thinking of it. But yeah. you can you can hear it. Uh, one reaction I had, I remember it was on the show with Steve. He's like, "Well, it sounds like chaos," and like it's not chaos because they're used to this. They know who's yeah, talking, exactly. whatever. But um, it does look like that. It comes across as chaos. Yeah, though. if you don't know what it is, sure. There's yeah, like five people like, talking at the same time. Yes, if you were in an air traffic control room and you're trying to, to land a 747, no, sure. it might sound like chaos too. The key thing here is the push and why they didn't send Atwell to take another look at the push. And I think this this isn't a process problem. It's not a VAR problem. I think it's a cultural problem and the culture whereby, oh, but if you intervene, you're overruling the referee. You're saying the referee did something wrong. You and I think it was a foul. Yeah. It's 
Howard Webb himself commenting on it. Maybe it was a foul. Maybe yeah, it wasn't a it foul. Yeah, it was not too... But they felt it wasn't true. It wasn't obvious enough for... This is the problem with the clear and obvious. Your job on big calls is to help the referee make the right decision, right? Atwell on the pitch, maybe he was unsighted, maybe he had a certain impression yeah, and so on. it was too quickly too. It may not be clear and obvious to you, but why not have this culture where you say, I'm here to help Atwell, to not make Atwell and VAR look stupid. Yeah. And they say, let's let him have another look. If Atwell looks at it and says, you know what? Eh, I don't think there's enough contact. I think Gabriel like, lets himself fall over, whatever. Then that's fine. Then it, but it's important because it's Atwell making the decision. Yeah, that's the point. That's the key. I agree. A series of leaked documents are, as part of the Cyprus confidential inquiry suggest that former Chelsea owner Roman Abramovich may have, Gabby, authorized a number of illegal payments to agents and intermediaries, including some for Eden Hazard and Antonio Conte. Gab, what do you make of it? And is it true that that could lead to maybe points deduction for Chelsea? So just first, the background on this has to do with, with sanctions against Roman Abramovich. There's yep. a big inquiry. Cyprus is part of the European Union, but I think by their own admission, they would say they played a little bit fast and loose with banking regulations, and they're trying to establish link between Abramovich and Vladimir Putin as a result yeah. of, of the war in Ukraine. Um, as part of this, though, bits and bobs come out, and it all got leaked, I think, with the government saying, yeah, yeah, you guys go ahead and put this out there. And part of the fallout of this is are these these payments that went to uh, an agent who was an intermediary uh, in the Antonio Conte deal, Federico Pastorello, uh, also to Eden Hazard's agent. John Beko? Uh, I think the big takeaway here is, yes, this is illegal. There is no statute of limitations in England. The Premier League have to investigate. However, two very important things to remember here. Number one, this came up because when Todd Bowley and his team did their due diligence at Chelsea, they established that, uh, oh, wait, these payments look suspect, right? Yeah. So we're going to self-report this. They yeah. weren't in they charge of the say time. Any, they didn't have to say anything, yeah. They could have, yeah. It might have come out later. Yeah, yeah but, nothing. Still, but not from themselves. I think it's difficult to say that they're benefiting from something that happened 11 years ago. Yeah. And also, I think they're ante- anticipating a fine. If you remember, they paid $2.5 billion, but they kept $100 million aside to pay for potential fines. So I think part of that money is going to go to pay for potential fines, and I think that's going to be Chelsea's punishment if they are punished. Yeah. Israel and Switzerland drew 1-1 in a game that was rearranged following the October 7th attacks. Jules, I'm struck by this, but this yeah. group is pretty wide open. It is, it is. And for Israel, it was obviously a special game. They had played on Sunday, we, we mentioned it, against Kosovo, which was a bit strange because... You see that all the other European League games happening yeah. on that weekend. Uh, they lost that game and they, it looked like they were going to lose against Switzerland, which would have made, which would have qualified Switzerland had they won that game because Valga scored in the first half. And yet, Sean Vesman right at the end scored in the 88th minute. Uh, it was a very good second half, especially after Zahavi came on and Oscar Glug as well. Much better performance from Israel. And now, as you said, Gabi, it's very, very open. You've got Switzerland on 16 points, Romania 16 points, and Israel. 12 points with still two games to be played. So uh, and it's a lot of head-to-heads because yes. Israel play Romania in Budapest on Saturday. Obviously, they have to win the game. If they win that game, they get within a point of the top. Switzerland play Kosovo, which is not a formal nope. conclusion. Exactly. Kosovo doing well on the group. And then on Tuesday, Romania play Switzerland. In, it could like be for final. all the marbles. Yeah. And whereas Israel are away to Andorra where you would expect them to win. Yeah, yeah, exactly. More elegant gambling wars in Serie A, Gabi. This time it's Milan's Alessandro Florenzi who is being investigated. So he's being invested, to be very clear about this, he's being investigated for betting on an illegal, unauthorized website. This is the same, um, it's the same type of bet. I don't know if it's the same website that Zagnolo, um, Tonali, and those guys bet on. Uh, there is no suggestion that he bet on football at all. Zagnolo, uh, of course, as we know, uh, only played poker there. So... He's still committing a crime because it's an illegal website, but he's not committing a football crime. Let's wait and see what this turns up. Um, I do think his name would have come out sooner if this was actually football related. But yeah. we'll see. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Back to that Switzerland game. Granit Xhaka won his 119th cap, Jules. Uh, a new record. Uh, more importantly, though, I'm just as excited as I get about cap records. Oh, yeah, Switzerland. most capped. Yeah. I, I want to go back to the fact that he left Arsenal for Bayer Leverkusen. That's right. I was skeptical. I was skeptical about Leverkusen paying that money for him. But you know what? I was wrong. You were wrong. Granite was right. He made the right choice because he's top of the league there. He's not top of the league here. And 
It's worked out swimmingly. Incredible. Gab, really, he had one year left on his contract to Arsenal. Uh, Bayer Leverkusen and Xabi Alonso. We talked earlier about who makes the court manager, sporting director. This one was very much driven by Xabi Alonso himself. I looked at the start before coming. He's simply the best midfielder in, in Germany so far this season. All his starts from progressive passes in the last third, from recoveries of the ball, from uh, passes in general, being involved in the game. He's number one or one or second in all those metrics. It's really... Remarkable the the dimension that he he's taken so far this season. Uh, I mean, taking the leadership in that by a Leverkusen team, but also just what she does on the pitch is great. It's I guess easier in a team that is playing so well and so much confidence. But still, amazing. I don't think many of us, certainly not you and me, uh, would have predicted that. So well done to him. On Saturday, Florentino Perez once again attacked UEFA and called for a Super League, saying it was, it's necessary that we go into the Super League and slagged off Javier Tebas. Now, Tebas himself has fired back. Gab, anything new here? No, there's nothing new. There's nothing new. They're repeating the same things. See, Florentino doesn't yeah. like the new format, blah, blah, blah. Again, when you say it's necessary, when you say football is dying and all this stuff, Bring facts, bring metrics. Don't just talk to the echo chamber of people That's who right. say, si, Presidente, si, Presidente, que bueno, que lindo. You know, hey, otherwise you're just being stupid, right? And then you're talking to the audience. It's the same mistake on the end. Come out, make the argument, have the thing. Tebas for himself, he says, oh, I haven't I don't talk to him. There's no point talking to him. Um, this isn't going to move forward. No. Let's give this new format uh, a chance. It certainly does distribute more money to the clubs, which is simply what most clubs want. Yeah. Marcelo Gallardo, Gallardo, sorry, Gallardo. is the new coach of Al Itihad in Saudi Arabia. Jules, he gets to work with your buddy Kareem Benzema. Kareem but I'm kind of disappointed we don't get to see him in Europe. Yeah, I mean, I think he's had a few offers. He was either too expensive or wanted to come with too much staff. He's clearly not a problem for Al Itihad. He will replace Nuno. Espirito Santo, I, I, in my head, I think it's hard to see a new manager coming in being so different than the one that he's replacing. Let's see, and maybe this is the first step towards Europe. You don't know. So the thing about Gachardo is he was so hyped for so long, did well, such yeah. a good job. Arriva. I never understood why he didn't come over. I don't understand how much yeah. money this guy has. Well, because he's he leaving money on the table by not coming over. He's obviously making more money over there than he probably would in Europe. Yeah. I'm this thing, my staff, I don't know. I we see, we see. Urs Fischer is no longer the manager of Union Berlin, Gab. Please don't tell me you're surprised. Uh, gee, one point in 14 games after the club. Wow. Went one point spent... in 52. Yeah. Yeah. One in 52 Four across two. all competitions. And this is after the club spent a ton of money um, in the summer. By their standards, I think they were maybe even the highest spending team in net terms in Europe. Obviously, the wage bill increased significantly as well. Um, look, he did so much for the club. They're yeah. keen to say it's mutual consent. He's not resigning, but he's not being fired. Let's see where this goes. Union fans deserve better. Jaden Sancho has been linked with a loan move to Juventus. Jules, makes sense to you? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> I don't understand this. I don't know where he would play in this system with Allegri. Why would he want to even go and play for Allegri? I know you move to a 4-3-3 and you have Kiesa on one side, Sancho on the other. I would love that, Robinson. but you, both you and I know it's not happening. Uh, so, I don't know. I, I hope for Jaden Sancho this is not the only exit door that he has. I mean, it's not bad to go to play for Juve. I'm not saying that. I'm just not sure this is right for him right now. I'm not even sure he's right for Juve anyway. I think the obvious thing that he should do is go on loan somewhere if he's not. No, that's get for sure. But to Juve, January. would you advise him to go to Juve? Um, I don't. I don't look. If he wants to improve, I, it depends what his mindset is. What I would not advise him to do is to go back to Dortmund because they already have enough wingers. Yeah, even though that keeps coming up too. Work has begun at the Camp Nou on the refurbishment that will take them from 99,354 seats. 205,000 seats. I love numbers, Gab. Why is it so important to you, those numbers? So, well, first of all, they already have the biggest stadium in club football. Yeah. And it's going to get even bigger, more than 100,000. Love that. One of the things I really like about stadiums is stadium design. And, like, when stadiums are too big, I always used to think... If your stadium's more than 60,000, there will be really bad seats in the house. And I think yeah. a lot of stadiums are like that. Um, I think 60,000's the limit. I think from a fan, just viewing experience, I'm talking fan experience, it's yeah, yeah. whatever. You know, the best stadium I've been to is the Emirates because 
I don't think that there's a bad seat. I actually went and I sat in all the crappy seats in the back and yeah. you can still see the game really well. Yeah. Um, Tottenham Stadium, I didn't go and sit in the crappy seats, but I'm sure that's nice too. So I'm not sure how you can maintain those great seats when you make it bigger, but apparently stadium design has evolved. They're promising that. Where they're going to make the money, it's not going to be selling an extra 5,700 tickets. It's going to be the refurbishment. They're going to have the roof. They're, yeah. they're going to sell more hospitality yeah, tickets, make more money. This team needs yeah. to make more money. Interesting thing is they're not going to be back at the camp now until 2025. There's already people who don't like Monjuic Clearly, that they've been playing at this year. Yeah. Um, you know, is that money can't come Is it worth enough. it? That's the thing. Is it worth it? Yeah. I think long-term, it probably is yeah. worth it if you can make it work well for you. Yeah. IFAB meet in two weeks' time, and among the discussions on the table is a 10-minute temporary red card for dissent. Do you like this, Jules? I, a sin bin is Yeah, like I don't like this at all. Again, I mean, I know you keep asking me questions if I like stuff, and I keep saying I don't like stuff. I'm it's not like having Mark Ogden here. I know I'm grumpy today. I just don't see it. Okay, maybe it works for rugby. Uh, the the sin bin not just for descent for them but well it's actually not for descent for them but you know for high tackles and things like that um, I, I, I just don't like it for so, football it doesn't work. give a yellow card for the first descent and we've seen many red cards this year Olivier Giroud got sent off for two yeah. red, two yellow so cards for descent the, the thing is what would you want to just so with the data I saw is that you actually get very there's very few second yellows for descent uh, obviously Giroud's an example yeah. I think there's only been one in the Premier League this season. Um, and so the idea is that referees don't like to give a second yellow for dissent. Now, obviously, in Giroud's case, if you give him a sin bin at that point, it makes no difference. Yeah, because yeah, like the end of injury the time. I want to see it, this cut down on. Um, I'm wondering if maybe five minutes is better than 10 minutes. The other I'm problem, sure. the one other, the other problem, though, with, uh, with this is that the risk, I think, is let's say somebody gets a temporary red card minute 30 of the first half and it's nil-nil. If I'm the coach at that point, I go into lockdown with my 10 men on the pitch, right? Yeah. I go 4-4-1, four, four, boot the ball, waste time, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, for 10 minutes, yeah. For 10 minutes, knowing exactly. that this guy's coming back. Exactly. And so I don't know if that's good from a... Entertainment that I mean. point. I don't think it is at all. And IFAB are also going to consider something else, Gabby, a rule whereby only the team captain can approach the referee to come and talk to him, like we see in rugby. Yeah, I I know there's a whole bunch of people out there saying, oh, look, football should learn for rugby. Yeah, no respect. A, uh, yeah, this is stupid because what if your team captain's a goalkeeper? Well, you're going to make like the guy run the length of the pitch? I think it's. Somebody respectfully goes and talks to the referee. That's fine. Referees can handle it. Referees yeah, can without swearing. This is all about without swearing. Yeah, not like oh, this isn't the military. Yeah, let's not let's not infantilize these players. Teach them like children. <laughs> like oh, wait for your captain to come. It's a different. Also, rugby has a million breakdowns. Right, position where play is stopped and the and the players are all generally near each other. Right. Yeah. So it's uh, I mean no, this is just dumb. Emil Forsberg, hey. one of your favorite players, could be moving from one Red Bull club to another this January. Joel swapping Leipzig for New York. Is this a good move? It's a very slow week for you to put the Emil Forsberg. Uh, no, wicked, you know why this is interesting? Why? Because they offered him. So obviously Emil Forsberg, as he gets older, yeah. looks more and more Sylvanian as he gets older. Uh, they offered him, I think, a two-year deal. Yeah, that's right. And he's like, oh, no, I'd like a bigger deal. And I think they almost give him a two-year deal because it's almost like an honor of what he's achieved for the club. Yes. Because if I'm Leipzig, look, this is not somebody I'm going to Definitely develop not. and sell on because he's older now. And apparently they said, well, you can have a four-year deal, but it's in New York. Um, you I think that. it's good for him. It's I, good I don't for him. Go to MLS. I mean, New York and Leipzig, Leipzig is a, <laughs> it's not a bad city at all. It's a lovely city. But yeah, it's just like New York. It's not New York, for sure. <laughs> so I'm sure Emil, our friend Emil, will... Uh, Welcome the idea, no, to go with his family to New York and I would hope so, yeah, and stuff like that. You know, we will kind of miss him, but not that much. No, so you know, Lautaro Martinez agent says that he's keen for his client to sign a contract extension at Inter. That makes sense, right? Considering the form that he's in. I don't look. If I were his agent, that's what I would say. Like, oh yeah, let's talk about this. But dude, your contract doesn't expire till twenty twenty six. So we have some time to talk about it. Yeah. If I mean that, no, I'm not talking to you now. Shut up and play. Let's have this conversation in the summer when you've got two years left. Yeah. Obviously, if I'm in his agent, I want to start. Yeah. Now. Like these are people why. playing roles, but yeah. I don't think Inter should be in any way 
um, pushed into making a decision on this. He's got yeah. a contract. He's got plenty of time to run. Definitely. Let's talk Women's Champions League, Jules. Yeah. Good night for Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah, and for Paris FC as well, the two Parisian clubs, my two clubs, uh, in action on Wednesday night. PSG lost away at Ajax in a game where... It's Ajax's th- first ever win. I know, but I, I mean, it was a good Ajax team, to be fair. They've got some good players, and Dutch women's football is good. I thought PSG deserved a little bit better. I don't think they played that badly at all. They hit the woodwork at nil-nil. They could have had a, a penalty, a couple of penalties. I thought the refereeing, uh, to be fair, the refereeing over the whole Tuesday mm. and Wednesday have been quite bad. We'll come about that later about Chelsea. So I think it's a bit harsh, that defeat. It's not ideal, although the Bayern Munich-Roma game, the other game in the group, finished in a draw, so... At least PSG it finished two-two with two, Bayern two. squandering a two-goal lead yeah, at home. And exactly. Again, by the way, okay. So I watched more in Women's Champions League than I usually do yes. because there was no football to watch with the river of the show. I have to say, there's, there is no VAR in, in no. the Women's Champions League. Should be. Um, as far as I can tell, there's only women referees. Yeah. Well, obviously. And not that they're bad because they're women, because there's very good women referees, but obviously there's fewer women referees in the pyramid as a whole, so there's going to be fewer very good ones. There were a lot of refereeing errors where if, and we'll get to it in the next one, but yeah, uh, this is a big argument in favor of VAR, if yeah. you care about yeah. your team and outcomes with and you. money riding on it. I'm with you completely. And and for Paris FC, quickly, it was their first ever game in the Champions League. Against Haken. Haken, uh, in Paris at the Stade Charlotte. Uh, they lack a lot of experience, of course. They lost 2-1. But again, they played some really good football. So I'm still hopeful for the future for the Paris club. And everybody went to the game, got to go, go, got to yeah, go for free. Yeah, exactly. Like it was lovely. Future U.S. Women's National Team coach, head coach, Emma Hayes, is probably annoyed too, Gab, because her Chelsea side drew 2-2 away at Real Madrid, but there were some really controversial decisions from the referee again. Yeah, so Chelsea were unlucky because the, the, the Madrid goal, there was double deflection yeah. and so on. But uh, beyond that, and again, you can go and you can watch the highlights of this. Unfortunately, the highlights are horrendously packaged, so you got to sift through <laughs> nine minutes of them. But uh, there's an obvious... Foul f- um, that was I saw outside the box from Fleming. Completely, on, you can like, see it from every angle. But like really clearly outside yeah. the box, um, where you would expect. Okay, maybe the referees catching up with play because it was a counterattack. But you have they called assistant referees for a reason. Yeah. They they don't just wave their flags and flag the outside. They're supposed to help the referee. Yeah. How the assistant didn't see that the foul is outside the box is beyond me. And then also a massive blown offside called the winner. Um, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly, Neve Charles. Yeah. Uh, what should have been the winner? She was ruled offside. But again, very obviously not offside. On. I mean, Sam Kerr. There was yeah. another player, was Sam it Sam Kerr, Kerr yeah, who's yeah. standing in offside? She does she jump not, for the ball. Yeah. Maybe it's that. She's not really interfering. But, I mean, come on. Yeah, it was bad. Jules, we all assume Mitra Luchescu was retiring when he left Dinamo Kiev, given he's 78 years old. Now he insists he's not retiring. I don't, I don't know what he's insisting on. Maybe he wants a job in Saudi Arabia. Maybe please when Marcelo Gajardo gets sacked. I know. Please, Marcelo, you've been great. Great servant to football, to Ukrainian football as well. It's time, I think, to look after your grandchildren, your children, your great-grandchildren, your, your dogs, your pets, whatever you want to find as a hobby. But surely not. I was thinking about this. What, what is the oldest sort of high-level manager? I always assume the answer to everything is Giroud, just because he was there. For, he was there for a long time. He wasn't necessarily yeah. super old when he so left. So he was his birthday, actually, last week. I think he was 81, 82. Okay, but he stopped managing about 10 years ago, right? Yeah, I think he was maybe early, very early 70s. So Roy Hodgson, who is 72, 74, 74 maybe, I think, has to be surely the oldest now. And this is the end, surely. This is the last season. All right. It just takes a lot. I just, I love their passion, but. No, I know, but like, come on, there's a time where. Nicolo Fagioli may be banned, as we know, but he signed a new contract with Juve until 2028. Gab is sticking with him. Okay, so if I were unkind, it's because he's got to somehow pay back those three million. No. um, (laughs) Look, I think if you're Juve, you're doing the right thing here. You said, we're going to get you help. You're in serious trouble. You're going to serve your ban. Uh, you are a club asset. And on top of that, if we go and talk to contract now, we have all the leverage because you ain't going to be playing football for the next year. So, yeah, lock them up. Yeah, I, I think it sends the right message. It's good for the club. And, you know, hopefully this young man can can learn and, and can move on. Exactly. Bayern have signed Australian wunderkind Nestori Irakunda. Um, I don't even know. Is this Basque? Is 
Like, it sounds I, Basque, yeah, but he's Australian. Yeah, it sounds no, Basque. No, but yeah, I was just curious about the animal. Yeah, yeah, no, name, no, no. Right? Yeah, um, really talented kid, clearly. I think been followed by quite a lot of top teams because he's done really well. He's only 17, plays already for Adelaide in the, uh, the A-League, doing well. I think he played over almost 40 games or something. He's got nine goals and four <laughs> assists. I think I looked it up. Uh, born in Tanzania. Uh, so a lot of pace, clearly a lot of skills. And I think Bayern are hoping that it could be another Alfonso Davis in the sense that you go and get him in a, in a I mean, lower league, I was going to say, not the MLS or lower league, but you know, like... A-league, I'll, I'll do MLS. No, no, but you see what I mean? Not, not in a, MLS on line one, did you call uh, us a lower league? No, 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 not a lower league. But you know what I mean? Like, not a... Right. It's not the traditional route, really, at that age to go from Vancouver or from Adelaide right. straight to Bayern. Uh, but yeah. you stay there on loan, obviously, still yes, turns 18. Exactly. exactly. Uh, so Tanzania. Is, yeah. I'm going to Tanzania in February. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Then you might meet his family. FIFA have announced that Eritrea, not far, not too far from Tanzania, are withdrawing from the 2026 World Cup qualifying. Gabby, why? So first of all, your geography isn't very good. No, I said Eritrea it's not too far. is very far from Tanzania. It's, not, it's, it's closer than, than than France or England. That's yes, what I mean. Yes, it's in Africa. But, right. That's I like know where it is in Africa. It's that's still like not saying that far. Portugal is close to Finland. <laughs> like, in fact, I bet the distance from Portugal to Finland is is. I, I bet you Portugal is closer to Finland than than Tanzania is to Eritrea. I don't. I'm not sure. That. I'm not sure that. I'm not sure. That. Uh, yeah. I know these stories where politics come in, but well, first of all, it's weird because it wasn't Eritrea who announced it; it's FIFA who announced it. Yeah. But apparently, obviously, it's a country which has had all sorts of uh, of, of, of fighting. It's it's an underreported story. Yeah. There's basically a civil war going yeah. on there, um, and there's concerns that, uh, or the government apparently is concerned that if they let the, the players go and play abroad and playing games they're going to defect and leave the country it's very difficult if you're an Eritrean citizen to leave the country um, and so they just decide that they're not going to play any away games yeah. so that means that you can't qualify for the World Cup um, obviously it's I, I don't think Eritrea would have made the World Cup but it is definitely a, a blow and it's uh, it's a sad reminder because honestly unless you're from that part of the world or have a real interest in foreign news most people didn't even know no, because yeah. we're all preoccupied with other conflicts. Yeah, yeah. Andros Townsend is thriving at Luton. Well, Thri- I mean, thriving Andros Townsend signed a contract with Luton and is playing football at Luton yeah. after many of us uh, thought he had retired. Yeah, that's true. Okay. He had a bad injury too. And yes, it is a slow week. He credits his extended career to his diet. I mean, I cannot believe this. So this was flagged up by Mark Ogden, who, as Why? you know, he's a fitness and diet freak and he eats all sorts of very unusual yeah. things, right? Yeah, yeah, but like I mean, no, Townsend. okay, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, good for Andrew Townsend that he's playing again in the Premier League. I hope he helps Luton to achieve safety and what they want. We saw him against Liverpool putting a good shift in. I won't lie. Uh, is this because he eats chicken feet? Uh, apparently, this is because it's, a, it's an excellent source of collagen. Apparently, Which, and how much do, was was the collagen helping you at, at football? I believe collagen isn't collagen. What energy? What you inject in your face if you yeah. want to get rid of wrinkles. Yeah, so that's not helping you as a footballer. So <laughs> I, what's, I don't know. what's the benefit of collagen? You're saying to me... I'm not a doctor. Chi- Your dad you is a sports me, scientist. You doctor. said to me, he eats chicken feet, so he's good at football this season with Luton. <laughs> what? Oh, my God. Okay, let's move on. Gab, I know you love making fun of those press releases that we keep getting, receiving all the time from PR agencies. Tell me about this new one that you got from Japan 101. Yeah, so here's your free publicity, Japan 101. I went, I just, I went, I went to their website. There's, there's a picture that looks like a guy standing in a casino. I have no idea what they are, but they've obviously paid a PR agency. Yeah. This nice woman at the PR agency emailed this story to me. And because it lists big names and because it mentions Champions League in the title, um, I am sure that some of our colleagues in the media oh, yeah. will go and will publish this story to fill space in International Week. I find this incredibly stupid you know like I, I find the Forbes list of most valuable fi- franchises stupid this is several orders of magnitude dumber <laughs> so basically what they said is oh look all these famous footballers they can make more money for getting paid for their Instagram and social media posts they use some formula where they looked at the number of followers yeah. and the engagement rate right now what I find interesting about this I have the top 10 here okay in order in order, okay. yes. Um, so first thing that jumps out at me is neither Lionel Messi 
nor Cristiano Ronaldo, no, nor you Neymar. You said Champions League players. Well, but I think you'll note that the guy who's number three on the list does not play in the Champions League. Um, in fact, he doesn't play at all and won't be playing for a while. We'll get to that. So they mentioned, but this doesn't even follow the Champions League, right? But yeah, so there's no Cristiano Ronaldo, no Neymar, no Lionel Messi. Yeah. Um, number one is Mbappe. I'm sure he could get paid a lot of money because he's got a bazillion followers. Number two is Sergio Ramos. Okay. And I kind of wonder, like, does he, he must get a ton of engagement. Number three is poor Paul Pogba, who. A, his team's not playing in Europe this season. I know he's B, he's not playing at all because he's suspended. He's a marketing machine, though. So that's why, no? Well, he's a marketing machine. Is he still really super relevant? Number five, Tony Kroos. I know he has a podcast. Number four. Yeah. Number four. Number Tony five. Kroos, he's not a marketing machine. I can, t- I can tell you that. Griezmann, fine. Number six, Holland, fine. Number seven, the very charismatic Robert Lewandowski. <laughs> oh, that's me. Uh, <laughs> Number eight, Luka, Luka Modric. There's another. There's another real social. Look, I'm not criticizing these these guys. We love them because they play football, right? Yeah. But do you think of Luka Modric, no. Instagram star Luka Modric? No, right? definitely not. Number nine is De Bruyne, who I think hasn't played since last season, right? Yeah. Number ten is Casemiro. Yeah. Um, I I just really wonder what what does this, this mean? And look, uh, we've wasted minutes talking about it, but I wanted to highlight this industry. Right, the industry that we're in, where as there's fewer and fewer reporting jobs, yeah. there seem to be more and more jobs in PR. And I think the worst thing of, of, of these jobs is, and I get these all the other, is, is people have these bogus, I don't want to call it bogus, yeah, but they are bogus studies, right? We don't know the methodology, whatever. Yeah. And they're just designed to generate a headline. So, yeah, so that and... Do you get these things? I get. All, I don't want to. Uh, yeah, I guess some. Not maybe as much as you, but yeah. Like the other one I get all the time is, and I'm not going to name these ex pros because some of them are very nice people, some of them are not. Ex pros will speak to some gambling website and state the bleeding obvious. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, like here, please, you can use these quotes from player XYZ and attribute them to you know SatanBet999.com. And I mean, why? Where, 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 and the quotes will be things like, I think Manchester City have an excellent squad. They've been there, they've done it, and experience really matters. <laughs> so they're my favorites. I'm like, why is this news? Why? Why? Enough. Jules, we've got access to the official oh, ball that will be guess. used in Euro 2024. Fußball Liebe. You must Fußball be excited. Liebe. I, I mean, as you know, I love footballs. Uh, I've got plenty in the house. I will get this one. I'll keep this one for, for me. It's lovely. Look at the colors. Uh, it's a bit deflated, though, no? I, said, no, I know Tom Brady was in Germany last uh, week. So. I, will, I will pump it up. All the stadiums and cities where there will be games at the Euros, Leipzig, Munich, Frankfurt, Dusseldorf, Gelsenkirchen, uh, Dortmund, all of that, Berlin, of course. All, I all like drawn, little draw with the, uh, the names and the, the stadium shape. It's beautiful. I like it very much. You know, well done to whoever created it, made it. Uh, you know, I think it's nice. I, think yeah, it's I don't like it. What don't you like about it? No, it's fine. The colors it's, are too bright or something. It's a ball. Like when it comes it's to not... classic designs of balls, the ones I remember, it's not this. Okay. I like the Botero like... that they had in uh, Portugal. I think it was uh, yeah. 2004. Yeah, that shows your age as well. <laughs> Gab, are some people in Miami really wondering whether the Messi effect is over? So... I read about some of these reports. Uh, I followed links to local blogs of yeah. football fans in Miami. And so they into Miami. They they had a, a friendly against uh, against New York, where he was presented with a Ballon d'Or ceremony. You know, very very nice. Yeah. Apparently, according to these reports, I don't know. I wasn't there. There were empty seats in the stadium because okay. the fans felt they just jacked the price up for what is essentially a friendly match. And yeah, yeah. I think people felt. I'm not going to pay $75 or $90 to go and watch Lionel Messi get an award. I'll pay to watch him play, which, by the way, he did apparently play in the game. And he didn't really win the Ballon d'Or because of what he did with Inter Miami anyway. No, so but it's not like you're Messi. Yeah, but you don't even clap him and say, oh, well done for everything you did with us that enabled you to win this Ballon d'Or. There's also a thing where, and again, this is where the media gets carried away and I think context matters, but people talked about their season ticket prices for next season where... Yeah. They were oh, the most expensive seats, and now they're most expensive in the world, like more than $4,000. Now, you and I both know that $4,000, 
you you have to go and define to see what you get for the experience <laughs> because you can get hospitality season tickets at some clubs in I love the Premier League where it's far more money than where that. it's going to be like fifty grand a year, right? More than that. Um, so I like to go with the, with the cheapest option, which their cheapest season ticket for next season is eight hundred and sixty seven dollars for seventeen games. I would venture that that is more expensive than probably at least eighty percent of the Premier League clubs. Where you get the 19 cheapest. games. Yeah, yeah. Of, the right. uh, of all of Europe, I think. Um, so that does seem like a lot. On the other hand, it's messy. They got to pay his salary. If they yeah. can sell it out, they're running a business. That's yeah. what they're going to say. I don't think fans are going to fall out of love with Messi. Certainly not Messi's fault or no. into Miami, right? No. They're charging what the market can bear. Yeah, yeah. That's very true. Jules, that brings us to an end. Oh, man. We got to come back on Monday yes. because some huge games in qualifying, huge games in Comebol as well. We might yeah. even get a Luis Miguel Echegaray appearance. Uh, if maybe. Nicely. Maybe. maybe, if we're lucky. Uh, until then, love the game. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. <laughs> <laughs>